Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Thinking about health care these days? Well, you're not alone. And it seems that getting real information about the state of our medical system is tough to come by. That's why you've come to the right place with Dr. Bill, your radio MD. He's got the answers because he's a doctor. I said he's a doctor and he wants to hear from you right now. 877-969-8600. This is AM860, The Answer. And now, it's time for Dr. Bill, your radio MD. Good morning, everybody. This is Dr. Bill, your radio MD, coming at you on 860 AM, The Answer. We are an AM station in the Tampa Bay area, and we're also worldwide on the web at am860theanswer.com. That's am860theanswer.com. You can catch me there, 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, Eastern Standard Time. Click Listen Live, or you can go to my new website, which I'm still working on. It's getting better every week. It's Dr. Bill, Radio MD. That's Dr. Bill, Radio MD. It's real simple. We are talk radio, so if you want to join the show, we're at 877-969-8600. That's 877-969-8600. And we're also an iHeart station, so you can grab me on your smartphone as you roam around. Here I am, Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. Well, on the website, I had advertised that we're going to talk about net neutrality today, but uh, I forgot that I had a guest coming, so we'll have to talk about that next week. This week, I've got Dr. Ken Redcross, who's founder of Red Cross Concierge and an expert on sleep disorders. Uh, Ken, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dr. Bill. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you again. I could not help you with net neutrality today, but I can with sleep. There you go. We'll we'll see if we can put everybody to sleep next week with net neutrality. (laughs) That might be better than (laughs) melatonin. (laughs) I don't know. Let's see if we can bottle that up potentially, right? Let's see. We can sell that stuff, dude. So uh, you're the big sleep expert now, and you've got a book out, and you've been on TV shows and radio. And uh, how's it going? Are you are you making money? Are you selling your book? Or you do you have any following? Or is everybody oh falling God. asleep? Oh no, no! I'm trying to keep everybody wide awake, Bill. I've been very, very blessed. The book is on the way. The book was supposed to be towards the end of the year, but I put it off for a couple of months. But I have a lot of wonderful things going on, and if everyone follows me and sees what I'm up to, I have a supplement line, so I have a lot of beautiful things. And I love to focus on sleep because it's something that affects all of us, Bill. It does. And by the way, folks, Dr. Red Cross as is at. DrRedCross.com. That's D-R-R-E-D-C-R-O-S-S.com. He's also on Facebook at backslash Ken Redcross MD and Twitter at Dr. Redcross. So you can pick him up there and you can follow his career and his book and see what's going on. But uh, sleep is a, it's a big problem. You know, I've, I've had some problems with that. I'm using 
one of those oral devices uh, to hold my jaw out so that I don't. Sure. I don't. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Oral devices. What do they call them? OAs or ODs? Yeah, yeah, and they're necessary for some of us. I don't know if it's because you were grinding or clenching or that sort of thing, or you were having any problems with the palate to raise the palate. But you're yeah. right. You know, so many of us are different. Are different you know, having issues as far as with sleep. And so luckily there are some ways and some sleep cheats that we'll touch upon today that I hope can be helpful, Dr. Bill. Let's do it, man. Uh, first of all, we need to know how much sleep we need. I know it's a little bit different for everybody, but you have some general parameters you can share with us. Yeah, you know, the CDC says we're supposed to be getting seven hours of sleep each and every night, and I know that's challenging for everyone, but I want everyone to recognize that sleep is important because it's important for our overall optimal health, and it actually allows our body to heal. Because one thing you'll realize, Dr. Bill, especially in our field, it's almost a badge of honor to get less sleep because you're like, I only need four hours of sleep to be productive. But the studies find out that's not necessarily true. Our productivity actually plummets if we don't get enough sleep, especially over a longer period of time. Well, I agree with that, but you know, I've I've had a beef with the uh, with the Graduate Medical Education Board because after the big deal in New York a few years back, yeah. they they cut the hours of the interns and residents that you could work, and and I got to tell you that, um, and I, I may be prejudiced in my view of this since I'm from another generation, but I see the younger guys and gals, and they don't come out of a dead sleep and and answer questions as quickly and easily as as we older guys did. Now that's not saying that what we did and the way we were trained was right, where we were on for right. thirty six or forty eight hours, but I think that there's. There's uh, some balance between the right amount of sleep and also being able to come out of a deep sleep and operate uh, in a high-demand profession like ours. No, you're absolutely right, Dr. Bill. It's funny. I think I'm uh, I'm a little bit of a different generation than you, but I was right on the cusp of that. I trained at Columbia as Presbyterian. And that was where some of the some of the issues were cited as far as us not getting sleep. But I agree with you. You need to be able to wake up and make good, informed, educated decisions out of your sleep. It's just our lives. Um, and so we get used to it. So I agree. So I think we do need to get that balance because I had a little bit of a challenge as well as where we were going as a medical association when real-life medicine doesn't happen nine to five. No, it doesn't. And, and I think that when we talk about sleep for our patients and uh, our our listeners i think we need to remind them that that's these are the norms but they're not for everybody because there are times when if you're on the front lines of medicine or you're on the front lines of the battlefield you may not get the the proper yeah. sleep but for most people 7 hours is uh, it's a good benchmark and if we can get there uh, i think we can generally do better and you probably have seen this in your practice that people who are sleep deprived are just not, they're just not hitting on all eight. No, our cognition, in other words, the way that we think, it just isn't as sharp as it could be. And so to your point, everybody is not going to necessarily be able to get that seven hours of sleep. But instead of focusing just on the quantity of sleep, I thought it was important to at least focus on some of the things that we can do quality-wise. That way you don't necessarily get down if you say, gosh, you know, I can't get the seven hours. It's really tough for my job or what have you. But, you know, we can do little things that can make a big, big difference as far as our sleep, luckily. Um, well, give us something that we can do. I know that for me, if I drink coffee late in the afternoon or have some mm -hmm. chocolate, then it, it's harder for me to get to sleep at night. So I'm, I'm assuming things like cutting out caffeine is one of the things you can do to get better sleep. 
Yeah, you're right. And that's a big one. We do a lot of caffeine, whether you're getting it in chocolate like yourself or whether you're getting it closer to bedtime. I love tea, but I have to be careful as well because caffeine has been shown to actually shorten the sleep cycle where REM sleep happens. And that's our most restful sleep where dreams occur. So you have to be careful with with caffeine too close to bedtime. You also have to be careful with alcohol. You'd be surprised, Dr. Bill. A lot of people will take alcohol closer to bedtime thinking it's going to be helpful. Now, the studies show it may help as far as initiation of sleep, but then it bears out that you end up having more restless nights of sleep. So once again, that's something else you don't want to necessarily do closer to bedtime. Uh-oh. <laughs> I've yeah, been busted. I, <laughs> I don't know. Look, I don't know how many friends I made with that statement, but I'm just here to say this everyone. You're just delivering the message. I know it's not, you know, it's not your fault. It just, it's a fact. Well, I, I, and I think that that's true. You have to be careful. And if you're going to have a cocktail or a drink or a glass of wine, do it with dinner. Make sure it's a two right. to three hours before you go to sleep. But for most of us, it's going to take uh, about an hour per beer, which is, uh, 5% alcohol. So a 12 ounce can is, uh, six tenths of, uh, of a milliliter or milligram of, of alcohol. So you should be able to process that if you have a normal liver within an hour. So if you're going to have one or two glasses of wine, make sure you at least have two hours before you hit the hay. Exactly. Exactly. Well said and absolutely true. And that's exactly what the data shows. Now, the other thing that was important as well, I've already mentioned before that we talked about sleep for optimal health and then it said that it heals. So one of the things we've learned to recognize is when we are not getting the right amount of sleep, our body doesn't fight infection well. And so if you have a strong influence on your immune system with sleep, let's make sure that we use sleep. Think about it as building blocks to help fight that infection. So I always talk with patients and say, if you're getting the right amount of sleep, then great. Your body's able to build it. But if not, one of the things in my practice I'd like to talk to them about is an immune booster. It's clinically proven. It's called AHCC. Now, I don't know if you've heard of AHCC, Dr. Bill, but it's an effective medicinal mushroom immune booster. And the reason why I mentioned this one with patients is that there's clinical data behind it. And for me, I don't know if you recall, but I'm really into data. And there's over 20 human clinical trials. And that's a big, big thing, as you know, especially in what we do. Absolutely. Now, what uh, what kind of mushrooms and, and where do you get this and how do you use it? Well, no. So these aren't the regular mushrooms, everyone, such as button mushrooms or no. These are more medicinal mushrooms. So we're talking about shiitake, sometimes the portobello, uh, criminy mushrooms. These are ones that are a little more active. Now, you can't go out and eat five pounds of mushrooms each and every day, which is the reason why I talk to patients about AHCC, because they had their own blend, uh, medicinal blend, that's been shown to be most beneficial. And they have all the research. They have a website, ahccresearch.org. For anyone who's interested, it's fascinating because I'm already a foodie. I already loved mushrooms, and then I started to learn even more of the benefit for immune health. And so a lot of my patients are already kind of on board with that as we talk about some other foods that can make a huge difference in our sleep. I know that there are some uh, foods that are considered uh, boosters of uh, endorphins and of melatonin and of other brain hormones that make us feel relaxed and sleepy and maybe you've got a list of those that we can we can eat before we go to bed if we have to have a little snack yeah you know one of the big ones we just actually went through when we were in thanksgiving everyone what makes us sleepy after eating a turkey is tryptophan and walnuts in particular are loaded with tryptophan so i always love to bring nuts into the conversation not just for the brain health and the heart health but here for sleep 
Almonds are also great because almonds have magnesium, and magnesium is extremely soothing and relaxing for our muscles. And you're just talking about kind of popping a handful of them closer to bedtime. Now, you had mentioned some foods in particular that actually raise melatonin levels as well, and one of them is are actually tart cherries. Now, I love tart cherries because I talk to patients. I always love to talk about things that we can keep in our cupboard that don't require my prescription pad. And a lot of my patients will use cherries, whether it's to help with their gout management. But here, we actually understand that tart cherries increase melatonin levels as well. So once again, these are easy sources to try to get a good night's rest. Well, I'm, I'm with you on everything. But now, listen, if we do too much of this non-prescription stuff, we ain't going to have a practice anymore, guys. So let's, uh, you know, <laughs> you have to come in and see the doctor if you're going to eat cherries before you go to bed. How about that? Uh, I know, I know. Look, you're going to need us for something. Like, Brent, come to us for support. We're always going to be there for you. But I agree. And, and, you know, I always tease about that because, you know, some of the things that we use can be a little bit of a challenge side effect-wise. But obviously, there's no replacement for some good clinical trial Western medicine things that we know uh, we have great benefit. You know, uh, we, we used to always talk about uh, omega-3 being something that, you know, we used to just use for heart health. And you in the emergency room, I'm sure you used to see that all the time also. But now we're also recognizing that when your melatonin levels are low, so maybe your omega-3. And there's even a website called NutrientPower.com. And here, Dr. Bill, you can go and actually get uh, order yourself a test kit just a finger stick, and you can get what's called an omega-3 index and know where you lie on that scale. The goal is eight or higher, but this is one of the first times we're actually able to measure our omega-3 and now tie it into sleep as well. Yeah, and uh, the other thing about omega-3 that I want to remind everybody, I had a, a friend on the show a few months ago, and he said that you have to use the krill oil, uh, that that's the only way you're going to get an adequate amount of the omega-3 uh, you can't get it from the fish oil because you'd have to take so much of it so apparently the krill oil is the big thing but now the daily recommendations that i saw i think that the uh the flaxseed oil will work just as well uh, and you may know more about this than i do but uh, if you're a vegetarian you probably will want to use that right. Exactly, exactly. I'm glad you brought that up. Exactly for our vegetarians out there. Flaxseed is a great way to, to make sure you're getting that in. And so it's so important. So now we already knew heart health and brain health. And now here's some place where you may actually get some benefit with your sleep, too. So I always love to tie those things in. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thing to know. Now, I got to tell you, uh, I'm a migraineur. I get bad migraine headaches. And a lot of the tree nuts, like walnuts, uh, will give me a migraine. So for those of you who have migraines or migraine syndrome, and and, and you, this is you know a big deal for migraineurs because it's right, a horrible right, way to go through is. life, is you may not want to eat the walnuts. The almonds, I find, are okay. I guess right. they're from a different family. I don't think they're hardwoods. And uh, I'll eat a handful of almonds before I go to bed. It's, it's a wonderful way to, to cap off the night. I won't tell you what I drink with it, Dr. Ken, because then you'll be fussing at me. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. We'll, we'll take that offline. We won't, we won't talk about that here. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> Look, but one thing you could add, though, I mentioned before, we had talked about caffeine, but one, something you could add to help with sleep is chamomile tea. Chamomile tea increases glycine. And glycine has been shown to be very, once again, soothing for muscles and for our nerve endings. So that's something that you can use to kind of calm down uh, closer to sleep as well to, to make a, a big benefit, especially to your point of being a migraineur. It's nothing like a nice, a nice warm cup of tea to kind of help you come down when you have a headache as well. 
Absolutely. And uh, the chamomile or chamomile, however you pronounce it, I don't know. It It's a little bit bitter to me, but there are combinations of it with other with other herbs, and uh, it's it's a it's a good way to right. to cap off the night and go to sleep. And a teaspoon of honey too. I, now I've heard honey has some uh, benefits in terms of sleep and also immune benefits. I don't know if that's true or not. You probably that's absolutely know. true. Absolutely true, Doctor Bill. In fact, we know that honey has antibacterial benefits as well, not just helping potentially for sleep. So honey is something that should also be in our cabinets, especially with this flu season that's coming upon us. Um, so you're absolutely right. That's a great place to to bring honey into the into the discussion as well. And and the good thing is everything we've talked about right now, the almonds, the walnuts, the chamomile tea, these are things that we can all have and be ready in our homes. When I mentioned AHCC, once again, something that's easy to get. It's on Amazon. It's at the website that I told you about. And then kind of cutting out those other things that we talked about before. Once again, these are things that are modifiable, meaning that we can control these. And so that way, I didn't want anyone listening today to really stress out about the amount of sleep and instead say, okay, there may be some other alternatives out there for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that people like the idea that they have some control over their their health care and their uh, body regulations, their diurnal rhythms and sleep and all that. And, that. and that's important because we want people to be involved in their health care. We find that people will do better and they'll cooperate and follow the doctor's instructions better if they feel like they're integral to the process. So this is important. And also I wanted to remind people now, honey is not for babies under a year of age. It does have some small amounts of uh, neurotoxin and this can uh, cause the babies to to die in their sleep. So avoid honey and and infants up to a year, year and a half of age. And other other than that, it's a wonderful, uh, I, I, I love honey. I've always got honey around. I always have had honey around. It's great. No, so it, it is. It's good. Yeah, it's a good way to put yourself to sleep. The uh, I, I did want to get back to the the patterns and the different stages of sleep because a lot of people don't understand this when we talk about REM sleep, rapid eye movement, and th- we have to have these certain stages of sleep. Otherwise, uh, we don't do well. We, in fact, we don't survive if we don't have no. re- REM sleep. And g- Give me a, a little 30-second uh, info on REM sleep and what it is. Well, to your point, look, when we're thinking about sleep, this is the best way to think about it. When we are sitting and we're sleeping, everyone feels that it's more of a passive process, but it actually isn't. It's a very active period within our bodies. This is when we process things such as our our memories from the day and the days in the past and the days even coming in the future. This is when we kind of restore our bodies from all of the the issues that we've had from the day's activity. It's also a place where our body gains its muscle and repairs its tissue and makes those hormones. So these are all the things that are happening at these stages of sleep, and REM is huge for that because that's our deepest state. So that's why for you, Dr. Bill, when you were mentioning caffeine affects you, can you imagine all these processes that we talked about, restoration, obtaining strength, hormone manufacturing, memories, all of that affected 
by something as simple as caffeine. And so it's important to understand the importance of all of these to make sure that the health is at the optimal uh, area to where we want it and that our immune system is nice and boosted and ready to go with every day's insult because we have to get sleep each and every day. So you may get good sleep on seven hours on one day and then recognize the next day that you only got four hours of sleep. So it's a balancing act to make sure that we're getting those phases of sleep that are so, so important for us. Yeah, and REM means rapid eye movement sleep, and it's uh, one of the four stages of sleep for folks who haven't read up on sleep, and all the stages are necessary. And we know that if you are sleep-deprived for 120 hours, and this was actually discovered by the special forces in the United States and in Israel, mm-hmm. that you'll die. So and uh, keeping people awake has is, is been an effective way of uh, – torturing and gaining information without actually beating anybody up or physically harming them. So it, it it's a real phenomena, and it's it's vitally important that we get all the stages of sleep, including REM, and anything that interferes with it is, is not good. So uh, I agree with you 100%. Now, the other thing that I wanted to touch on is a guy like me where I sleep five or six hours a night. I can't nap during the day. Is that okay? Right. Uh, uh, how's your, what's your experience with the, with the daytime naps? Well, you know, one of the better ways to kind of pay off a little bit of sleep debt, it can be a challenge, but it's something that you really have to think about realistically. Now, for someone who gets those five hours and tries to get that other two hours and kind of mesh them together, let's just make sure that we do some of those things that we know are effective. Like, for instance, the studies show that it's better not to have a TV in your bedroom. Now, I know that's a challenge for a lot of us. We're a media-driven society, but definitely you want your brain to know that when you go to the bedroom, it's time to shut down and go to sleep, not to kind of be wired as well. The other thing is our cell phones and our laptops, they're causing some challenges as well as that light. We have a little bit of an area. We have an area in our brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Let's just call it the SCN. And that's important to kind of letting us know it's time to go to sleep. And that gets confused uh, when it's close to bedtime and there's a lot of light. So those are some things, especially, Dr. Bill, if you want to get that nap in, let's make sure that even that nap is kind of high-powered and see if we can eliminate some of those things to kind of pay off a little bit of that sleep debt. Well, then that's a problem for me because I work with my wife and she has radar. And anytime I stop her, slow down or take a nap, she's she's in there. Hey, get up. You got work to do. She gives you, she gives you all the honeydews. She gives you all the honeydews. Yeah, at the office, you know, we got patients. Get out here. So, but but you're right. If you can shut down the system and, and uh, what I'll do is I, I have a recliner in my office, so I'll turn out the lights uh turn off the computer screen so there's no light and i i can hear a little bit in the background from outside in the office people working but overall it's a it's a pretty good way but i think that doctors who are in uh critical care or high high pressure situations they learn how to turn off the outside world but that's not always easy that's not always easy to do no it's not easy at all it's very difficult and it takes years and sometimes you never really get there dr bill it's just something that you you know you find out you're just not the best sleeper especially in that field that you're that you're talking about in the unit being in the icus yeah it's it's tough and not everybody's cut out for that i, I realized uh, after 20,000 hours in the emergency room that wow. i can't nights i cannot do nights i i get psychotic so i said well er is not going to be for me so then i went into right. medicine and 
technology, but you know, it's, it's, it's tough uh, for some of us to re-regulate our body rhythms and not everybody can do that. So if, if you have a, a rhythm that works for you, stick with it and don't yeah, try to yeah. switch between days and nights uh, because there's a little more money in it. Cause it's not going to be worth it in my experience. No, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's funny you mentioned even the rhythm there. I don't know if you saw this, but the Nobel Prize was actually awarded to a group of uh, American scientists who were able to describe what maybe causes our circadian rhythm and their relationship to the 24 hours. So sleep is a huge topic, and, and, it, and it's so important for us to, to better understand so we can understand, for instance, the shift worker or the reason why we have jet lag. So the circadian rhythm, is, it's all quite fascinating. It is, and, and folks, the circadian rhythm involves not only wake, sleep, and day-night, and recognition of light and dark. It also has to do with the release of certain hormones by the body, uh, including growth hormone and cortisone. These things are released during the diurnal rhythm at certain times of the uh, of the day and night. Usually, this is early morning, and there's other things that go on as Dr. Ken was saying, in terms of recharging our brain and uh, recharging our muscular system and allowing the immune system to recover from the day's insults. So it's a real phenomena, and it's, it's, very, it's very quantifiable, if I can say that. I guess that's a good way to look at it, Ken. Yeah, no, it, it is. In fact, that's well said, because you're right. It's very quantifiable. And something that hopefully after everyone hears this today says, you know, maybe I should really think of sleep as medicine, because it really is also. It is. Well, uh, you know, our whole experience. And the other thing that I, I always stress is, uh, unfortunately, I have a very old patient population being in St. Petersburg, Florida. But mm -hmm. uh, for those who are capable, I say, look, exercise is a real cornerstone of good health and it will help with sleep, too. Uh, you know, people are stressed and they're all wound up instead of sitting down with a, a couple of beers or a glass of wine. Go out and ride your bicycle, power walk around the neighborhood do something active and physical. And I think no, that aids in sleeping as well. No, I agree with that. And I always love talking about exercise for a myriad of other issues. But here it's important because as we get a little older, as you mentioned, your population, that's the time when you really want to start exercising. It's been shown Absolutely. to be beneficial for our brain health, cognition, all these things. And now, to your point, it's been shown to be beneficial for sleep as well. And as we get older and as we age, in other words, we have a challenge with sleep. It's well-known and well-described. Absolutely, and the, uh, the the protective cholesterol fraction, the, the high-density lipoprotein HDL, actually goes up with exercise, so it not only helps with sleep and circadian rhythms and immune systems and all kinds of things, but it also helps with our cholesterol and our blood pressure. It lowers our blood pressure, so vitally important that we link the two together and uh, make sure that everybody understands that you can't just sleep to better health. You've got, there's more to it than that. It's, <laughs> you got to get out and be active too when you're awake and keep the brain. No, you're moving absolutely too. right. And keep that exactly. Keep your brain moving and keep that heart rate up. So exercise is that gift that keeps giving. And so you mesh that with sleep and you're well on your way. Absolutely. Now I, I wanted to touch a minute on melatonin. I know that a lot of my patients are using that, and they think it's a wonderful thing. Uh, what's your experience with that? Is there is there really any benefit to it? Have you seen any research that says that it's a, it's a real phenomenon? 
Yeah, you know, melatonin is quite beneficial. But one thing that's very interesting, Dr. Bill, I'll have a subset of patients who absolutely love, love melatonin. And some will say, Doc, it's okay, but it didn't necessarily keep me to sleep the way I want to. So I'll tell you, melatonin is something that is definitely worth trying. Once again, I get back to the prescription thing because we do have some things in medicine that can help with prescription. But let's start with melatonin first and see if you can see the benefits. Now, there's other things, too, that are a little bit of a challenge to find the correct doses of melatonin. You'll see one milligram, two milligram. Once again, just get started and see if the lower dose is what works for you. And you can always dial that up as need be. And we've already talked about a couple of foods today that can help with sleep and, and actually I should say with melatonin rather. So melatonin does have good data behind it to, to at least start as that first agent um, to see if we can get a little bit of the rest that we all require. Yeah, and uh, consumer labs, they recommend if one milligram doesn't work, try three, but they're cautious about five and ten milligrams. Uh, I don't know if there's been a lot of study on that dosage. And we also have to remind people that even if it's a placebo effect, if it works, you know, if it's a sugar pill effect, do it. You know, it helps you get yeah. into a rhythm, into a cycle. And uh, the best choices for these things, you can go to Consumer Lab at, at uh, consumerlab.com, and, and you can type in your brand, whether you're getting it from Sam's Club or, or CVS or the health food store, and see if it passes their test. They do a lot of good testing for purity, for accurate dosages, for uh, biological effectiveness and activity right. and bioavailability. Right. So that's a good spot to go to is consumerlab.com if you have questions questions about your melatonin or any other over-the-counter medication that is a food supplement or a vitamin or a mineral in that family. No, it's good that you talk about that because that gets back once again to that to that data so we can read it for ourselves and, and learn and educate. You know, it's never a day that when I don't feel like it's important that we all try and learn something. And so, um, you know, that sounds like a wonderful resource. Um, and in a lot of the things that you talk about, get into the studies, come in, talk to your physician about them, help educate your physician even. You know, Dr. Bill, I'm Western trained, but it wasn't until I got out to California and learned about some of these alternative ways of healing that I was able to kind to dive in and say, oh my gosh, this is a total different world. I didn't get this in med school and was able to educate myself on a lot of these things that are so, so important and, and crucial to our health. Absolutely. I think that's a good point. But now um, I'm a little leery of the left coast out there. Are they really going off the deep end or you think they're going to come back into the fold of the middle America? Um, I hear that uh, Kim Jong-un's targeting San Francisco. Is that true? Have you heard anything? Or is that oh, my gosh. <laughs> let's, 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 let's hope not. Fingers are crossed over here, guys. Jeez, hopefully that situation gets resolved. Oh, my gosh. Well, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about uh, about sleep apnea and how we can screen ourselves or how doctors can screen patients for sleep apnea. This is a big problem, and I know that you have a lot of insight on this. So everybody has questions about that, and I have a lot of patients that are asking me, do I have sleep apnea? And I also have to ask myself when I see someone with high blood pressure and other medical problems as part of this from sleep apnea. So when we come back, Dr. Ken and I are going to talk about sleep apnea, and we'll have some little questionnaires you can give yourself and sites you can go to. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I'll be right back.
With SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. The president is attacking the FBI this morning in a series of tweets. That says the law enforcement agency's reputation, quote, is in tatters, worst in history. He is responding to reports that a veteran agent was removed from special counsel Robert Mueller's team investigating the Russian election meddling because of anti-Trump text messages. Mr. Trump also says on Twitter he never asked former FBI Director James Comey to stop investigating his ex-National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. The United Arab Emirates says not true claims from Yemeni Houthi rebels that they fired a missile near the under-construction nuclear plant in the UAE. They say it did not happen. The House and Senate are about to start talks to eliminate differences in their tax overhaul measures. They've got to hurry. President Trump wants the deal on his desk by Christmas. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of Can Care, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Dr. Bill for West Coast Radiology. Our good friends at West Coast Radiology offer convenient and comprehensive x-ray diagnostics, including open MRI, CT scan, CT PET, mammography, and ultrasound. With state-of-the-art equipment and four convenient locations, you're assured of friendly, comprehensive care. Most insurance is accepted and competitive self-pay rates, plus Saturday appointments. Call West Coast Radiology at 727-771-2795. That's 727-771-2795. Don't miss Land O'Lakes Christian School's annual open house, Sunday, January 28th, 1 to 3, at First Baptist Church of Land O'Lakes. Tour the classrooms, examine curriculum, and meet the staff. Celebrating 40 years in Christian education, Land O'Lakes Christian School is accredited by the American Association of Christian Schools, North American Christian School Accrediting Agency, and the National Council for Private School Accreditation. Classes available pre-K-3 through 12th grade. More information at lolcs.org. That's lolcs.org. There's no question you need omega-3s. But which form should you take? Fish oil or krill oil? Scientists have debated this for years. Luckily, there's a new solution to satisfy everyone. It's called Krill Omega 50 Plus. It combines ultra-pure fish oil and joint-soothing krill oil together in just one tiny pill. It's so powerful, it can promote the health of your heart and your arteries. And if that wasn't enough, it can also boost your joint comfort in just days. We're so sure Krill Omega 50 Plus will work for you. We'll even send you a free bottle to put to the test. The debate is over. It's not fish oil or krill oil. It's both. And now it's free. Just pay $4.95 for shipping and claim your free bottle. Call now. 1-800-880-5745. 1-800-880-5745. That's 1-800-880-5745. Today will be partly sunny with a high 81. Tonight, partly cloudy with a low 63. Tomorrow, sunshine and some clouds, the high 82. Tomorrow night, clear with a low 64. Tuesday, mostly sunny and warm, the high 84. And on Wednesday, periods of clouds and sunshine, the high will be 82. That's your accurate forecast. I'm Dan Pittman for AM 860, The Answer. 
couldn't sleep at all last night. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your radio and your sleep MD. I'm talking with Dr. Ken Red Cross, founder of Red Cross Concierge, and an expert on sleep and a proponent of getting a good night's sleep. Ken, you back with me, bud? I am right with you. I wouldn't dare go anywhere else. All right. I love it. <laughs> so uh, I was talking before the break about the uh, the sleep apnea problem in the United States yeah. and and this is a big problem, and I, you know, there's a number of questionnaires that doctors and patients can use. Uh, uh, there's the stop bang, which is very popular, and this is: Do you snore loudly? Do you feel tired, fatigued, or sleepy during the daytime? Right, Has anybody right. seen you if you stop breathing? Have you stopped? And usually, this will be with a loud snort, and you even wake yourself up. Do you have high blood pressure that's difficult to control? Of course, obesity is a problem. Age over fifty thick-necked, and more the guys than the gals. And uh, I, I'm sure that you screen a lot for this in your practice. What's your experience with the sleep apnea? Yeah, let me tell you, sleep apnea is actually the most common sleep-related you know, related breathing disorder that we ever see. And you're right. It's more common in men than it is in women, which is still poorly understood, Dr. Bill. I think it's probably more anatomical, uh, maybe palate, to your point before, maybe neck size. But the point is it tends to be more common in men. One of the best ways that I diagnose it, I know we have all these different ways to do it, but it's when I have the, I'll just use in this case as an example, the wife comes in and says she cannot get any sleep because her husband keeps her up all night because of the loud snoring and all of the disruption during the night. Um, and then at that point, that's when I know there's something to think about because you're dealing with other medical issues that can be a real problem because of obstructive sleep apnea. Well, I'm glad that you put that, uh, that, uh, proviso that, uh, She's being kept up all night because he's snoring. I'm mean, a good thing you've added that last, last yeah. part there. <laughs> but yeah, it is. A, it's a problem. Loud snoring and uh, stop breathing. And this is where your significant other comes in because they'll not be in the exact same sleep cycle as you, and they will observe you from time to time. And and the the loud snoring and when you stop breathing and what happens, folks, is it, you drop your oxygen saturation level in your blood. And of course, we have to have oxygen for the for the uh, cells to function, but not only that, we build up carbon dioxide, and we know carbon dioxide is a big problem. It can cause high blood pressure. It can cause right. high blood pressure in the lung fields. It can cause an add to sleep apnea. So not only is it a drop in the oxygen levels, but it's a rise in the carbon dioxide, which we're trying to blow off when we breathe. And uh, I think that it's important to realize that our blood pressure and our our ability to concentrate and stay awake during the day and our overall health, our weight, weight goes up with sleep apnea. It's yeah, not always right. the sleep apnea as a result of weight. It can be weight as a result of sleep apnea, too. You've probably seen this, Ken. 
You do. You absolutely do. And to your point, you mentioned some cardiovascular things there as far as dealing with our heart, but there's also things metabolically that happen. You know, it increases our prevalence of insulin resistance, diabetes. So obstructive sleep apnea is not just one thing that's in a box that we're only talking only the heart, and now we're talking metabolically. And unfortunately, if untreated, it's even associated with mortality. So it's something you have to make sure you get in to see us um, to make sure that it's addressed immediately when you think that this may be an issue. Yeah, and, and you need to ask uh, your your partner, if your 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 spouse or whoever, if you're having any problems during sleep. That's important to bring to the doctor's attention because we don't always think first uh, when we see a new patient with blood pressure and diabetes that you have sleep apnea. So make sure that you uh, jangle your doctor's chain, so to speak, and and let him know right. that you have concerns about this. And because uh, I'm, I mean, even even though 90% of what I deal with are diabetics and hypertensives and heart problems, I, I still forget at times to ask people that. So and yeah, the other thing, you know. It's a tough thing to ask for, Dr. Bill. You're right. It's one of those things that it's not necessarily one of the first things at the top of your list when you have your diabetic in there because you're trying to get that A1C down, right? So, you know, we don't always think to ask that at the time. So that is a great point that you brought up. Yeah, and I think that for the doctors who are listening today, what I have done is in my electronic medical record, I I have uh, the things I can click and pull into the into the uh, review of symptoms and and so on and so forth. Is I do now, and I did intentionally put in this year questions specifically about are you snoring too much has anyone noticed that you've stopped breathing do you have daytime sleepiness do you find that you're not well rested all these things i need that i think that the doctors need to be asking patients so that they can identify someone with a sleep apnea problem and get it treated and uh, uh, it's it's made a difference in my life that's for sure yeah, no, it's a big, big deal, and it's easy, and it's easy to diagnose as well. You just come in, yep. and we we give you a sleep test, right? We get in, get to a sleep yep. lab, we watch you sleep, and we measure, and here we have a diagnosis. Yeah, the sleep lab, folks, it's a, it's an interesting little phenomenon. It's it's actually a big money maker for a lot of the sleep study guys, uh, but it also is a good thing. We hook you up with electrodes to see what your heart rate is, see what your brain activity is, your respiratory rate. We hook up a little monitor to check your oxygen saturations, and you think, well, how can I get to sleep with all that stuff on me? You know what? I had that test done. I fell asleep in 10 minutes, 15 yeah. minutes. It, it's really not that intrusive. It's a pretty easy test. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it doesn't take any time out of your day either. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take time out of your day because you're sleeping at night with it. <laughs> no, and, and it's a good way. And not only that, you leave with so much information. And so not only that, one thing I find, Dr. Bill, I love it because patients actually leave with hope. They leave with the feeling like, okay, so now we know I definitely have an issue. Now, Dr. Redcross, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to address this now? At least I know, like, you know, I'm not crazy. My wife is right. Let's figure out how I can start, you know, staying healthy. Absolutely. And there's a number of things that we can do. I've talked about the oral appliance that I use. It's actually, it's, it's like a retainer that the kids get right. for their teeth. But it, in, instead of pulling the teeth in, it actually pulls the lower jaw out. So the, the, uh, the rubber bands are reversed and they're heavy duty. There's also spring loaded ones. And you probably know more about the CPAP and BiPAP than I do. And uh, is there anything out there that's comfortable and how do you use these devices and when do you prescribe them and all that information that's necessary? 
Yeah, you know, and a lot of people, to your point, they do like that device, the device that kind of pulls the jaw that you're describing. It's a little bit easier <coughs> for some. We do have uh, the CPAP machines. You put those on, and it creates a positive pressure that keeps the palate up. Once again, allows you to get that oxygen in and that carbon dioxide that Dr. Bill mentioned that's a big problem for our body. So a CPAP machine is a good way, too. Now, one of the better things, as I mentioned before, if I didn't, I should have, that obesity is the number one risk factor. So if that is an issue, if you are overweight, then that's something that we can work on as well, because I've had patients that have lost enough weight to actually not have any issues at all with obstructive sleep apnea. So that would be the best way, if at all possible. Well, if you have anything for that, send it, please, because <laughs> between the, the, the nuts and the beer at bedtime, I've put out a few I pounds know, over the past few years. I know. We bottled up a couple of things during this together, that's for sure. That'd be another one to bottle up. Yeah. Now, some people complain about the uh, CPAP and the BiPAP. There's yeah. there's one device that fits in your nose that's fairly low profile that's out now. And what it actually does is at the end of your uh, expiration, it gives a little little puff to open your airway back up, as uh, Dr. Ken said. The, the, the other one is a mask, which is a little bit more intrusive, but when we have some really obese people who are really struggling, then it's almost a necessity that we put that on you. It's not that pleasant, but people with bad sleep apnea, they're not going to know until uh, they're feeling better that it's really an, an obtrusive or invasive kind of thing. I mean, it, it's uncomfortable, but if you're not sleeping or if you're sleeping all the time, then it's a, it's a great thing and it really helps. So uh, those are things to consider. And you've probably seen a lot of that, Ken, people getting better and losing weight along with prescribed programs for exercise and diet. No, you're absolutely right. And to your point about the CPAP, you're right. It's a little challenge in the beginning for, for the patient and for the for them as a couple. But when you have that patient that comes in, Dr. Bill, and they've actually had a two to three nights full of sleep and you come in, their cheeks are rosy, they're happy, they're thinking better, they kind of deal with it at that point and they're pretty happy. And then we can talk about some of these other ways, like I said, if it's a weight issue, but they tend to be pretty happy once they get used uh, to how the apparatus works and that sort of thing. And that's the point where that's the point in time where you give them your bill because then they won't be so upset. Only after the CPAP. Only after they're better. <laughs> you know, I hate it when the people come in and say, "I'm not getting any better, and your fees are too high." You know, oh, let me see. What, what should I address first? <laughs> I know. I so say, "How much time do you have? How much time do you have?" Let's see. <laughs> Now, I was curious, uh, this is a little bit off the sleep thing, but you have a concierge sure. practice. Uh, uh, and can you explain to folks what this is? I mean, we've talked about this in our area, but we don't have the the affluence in St. Petersburg for something like this. But what do you do? How do you do that? Well, you're right. Well, thank you, Dr. Bill. So one of the big things for me, everyone, is that so I'm, I am um, here. I, I'm an intern. It's been training probably almost 20 years in, in practice now, close to that. And so one of the things that was tough for me um, is that I, I adore patients like most of us as physicians, but the, the challenges of the time constraints for me and for the patient, for me to really get to know them, was too tough. So as you know, Dr. Bill, on average, they say that patients are getting about seven and a half minutes with us, and I just couldn't be in that particular environment. So I decided that back in 07 that I wanted a concierge practice. So just like a hotel concierge, it's something that allows the patient to have access, convenience, and time. So everything is actually on the patient's time. So they have my cell phone, my email, any way that they need to, to reach out to me 24 hours. 
And luckily, that works for my personality. Like I said, I don't have a problem, like we mentioned before, getting up at 3 a.m. and being able to, to have a full conversation and make a good medical decision. But it's one of those things that this allows your patients, for me, to become almost a member of your family. And I think that when you have that sort of relationship, I think healthcare outcomes improve. I think physicians are happier. And so I've been blessed enough to kind of carve out a little small niche um, to when I, I've been able to do this. And so it works for me, and it, and it works for the, that smaller population of folks that I, that I care for. It's a retainer basis. So as you were mentioning the bill before, it's not an insured benefit. But once again, there's a lot of value in that, um, especially nowadays as we have the health care debate and trying to figure out where health care costs are going. There's a lot of value uh, in this sort of care for, for several people. And like I said, for me, it's wonderful because it's like you have a whole big, large family um, that you can kind of um, see and, and enjoy. Yeah, and you know, the government's even morphing towards this with these accountable cost organizations, the ACOs, and what they're doing is they're saying in order for you to meet all the quality measures, you have to bring people in for a wellness visit, you have to bring them in for uh, depression screening, you have to, so there's a, a great deal of increased contact with the Medicare patients, and not necessarily with me, but with my whole staff, and uh, you get a little bit extra from Medicare for doing this, but it, it, it makes people feel that they're cared about and involved. And, you know, the, the, we know from all the research over the decades that having accurate empathy and concern and uh, undivided attention and uh, directing our, our conversations to the patient and the problem at hand, which is tough to do when you only have seven minutes in which to do it, is an excellent way to gain patients' confidence and support, and we want everybody to be involved in their own health care. We know that they'll take their medicines and follow the routines better if they feel like they're uh, involved and that they're cared for, and, and, and we hear this in our practice all the time. I'm sure you hear it, too. We just love coming to your office, not necessarily because of me, but because of the feeling that they get that they're part of the practice, and that's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's a place of healing, right? And so I can talk all day about what healing is and how we all define that and the importance of that, just spiritually. Uh, but you're right, just coming there and being around you and around the environment. The healing starts. Healing starts when the patient come right in, comes right in the door. So, you know, and it's a good it's a good feeling for them. And really, even for us, we obviously love what we do, and um, so it's, it's a win-win. And, you know, I'm always surprised. One of my patients, uh, we closed early Friday because uh, we didn't have any patients, so we let everybody go home at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And I hear someone pounding on the back door. It's one of my one of my regular patients, Pierre, and he's out of his medicine, and and he's wondering can can I fill it for him? And you know he's, I think he also just needed a little touch touch, and uh, so he right. said, uh, oh, I appreciate you so much. You guys are great. He said, by the way, your sign out front, the handicap sign that marks the little walkway up, people keep hitting that, and I've got a solution for that. He's in construction. I said, oh yeah, well, give it to me, Pierre, and he said. I can put a heavy spring on the bottom of it, and then when people hit it, it'll bounce back, and I'll set it in deeper for you so that if they hit it, they're not going to knock it down. 
I said, what's it going to cost me? He said, oh, Doc, I'll do it for free. So, I mean, it, wow. that, that, that kind wow. of appreciation and that kind yeah. of, of loyalty and uh, devotion, I mean, you just you can't buy that for any amount of money. It's, it's a wonderful thing. And I'm sure that you have patients that treat and care about you the same way that you do them, and that's a good thing. But I wanted to ask you now, when you charge somebody for – uh, uh, the concierge, do you actually give them a bill that they can submit to their insurance company or to Medicare, like for an annual physical exam or, a, uh, you know, right. an acute, acute care visit? How does that work? No, that's a good point. And absolutely, you, you can do that. Now, it depends, obviously, on the insurance. A lot of people have high deductible insurance. And so when you do that, a lot of patients are still happy if they get some reimbursement back because some insurances are okay with that. Some aren't. But yes, you can always give a bill and get back what you can from the insurance that you're that you're paying, especially in particular that that high deductible plan, which a lot of people took out um, when they were trying to figure out Obamacare or what have you. And 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 those who kind of work for themselves um, will take that sort of plan out. So absolutely, you still submit that to insurance and kind of cross your fingers that you get a little bit of the retainer back. Yeah, and uh, the high deductibles, folks. I mean, they're like five to ten thousand dollars, and a lot of right. people that that's just an entry level healthcare plan for them. It's just ridiculous of the cost of of healthcare. I really think that uh, we should have catastrophic plans, and then allow people to to purchase a concierge type uh, relationship. Uh, so that say your say your your plan costs you two hundred bucks a month, and then that's twenty four hundred twenty five hundred dollars a year, and then if you can give your doctor another 2500 a year for concierge care, you're still coming out better than if you paid the seven or $800 a month with a five to $10,000 deductible. It's it just, our government's not thinking straight. We need to, we need to talk to him, Ken. You and I need to go up on yeah, the hill. Yeah, I know. Set up straight, guy. We need to write our congressmen. We need to write our congresswomen and men and, and mm. see what we, can, what we can do there because you're right. You know, it's also a, a little bit more of a, of a closer relationship, which I think, once again, improves healthcare outcomes. Um, and then it also helps as far as with access, which, as you know, is a huge issue uh, on the primary care side right now in, in medicine. Yeah, it's hard to get people to go into internal medicine now, Ken. They, I mean, we, we go through really tough training. Uh, you know, you did your three years and up and down night and day. And when you're on call yeah. and, uh, you know, even if you're a senior resident on call, you're still up with the interns most of the night it's in a busy hospital like you trained and you're probably up all night. Oh and, yeah. Oh yeah. And Absolutely. you know, how do you get people to go into internal medicine? I mean, it's so necessary a lot of the people want to go into family practice, but I don't think they get the same depth of training, uh, in, in adult medicine that the internists get. Uh, and I don't know what your experience is, but, uh, and that's not to say there's anything wrong with family practice, but, you know, right, I want right. to. I want to go to a doctor who's going to be able to d make a diagnosis. I mean, if treatment has to be done by someone else at another facility, but at least get to somebody who can make the diagnosis. I'm not wandering around lost between doctors. It's a big problem. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. No, our training is definitely different. We spend a lot of time in the in the ICUs as far as with our training. I mean, we go through the the, the CCU, which is the cardiac care unit, the medical care unit. Um, so we definitely have a little bit of a different training now. As you know, on the family practice side, they can still deliver the children. They can still also see children, depending on kind of where you are in the United States. So I agree. We're all definitely different in, in how we, we had our training. And the challenge is this, uh, as, as Dr. 
Dr. Bill and I are saying that you're going to get probably a little less uh, reimbursement by being a primary care physician and maybe even what feels like more and more work than maybe if you are a subspecialist, such as a surgeon or a gastroenterologist or something. And so it's been very difficult to get some of the new grads. And this is even when I left Columbia to decide that they kind of want the life that we have. Now, the reason why I can make that choice for me and probably you too, Dr. Bill, is I literally love what I do and I adore people. And for me, um, being able to deliver care and have these relationships is almost medicine for me as well. So I don't think I could do anything else um, that would uh, that would allow me to do this and be as satisfied as I am in primary care in particular. Um, so it works for me. But, you know, we all have different personalities and things that drive us. And so now we're seeing that it is a major challenge in healthcare of how you're going to have all of the baby boomers getting older and less of us to see the baby boomers. Um, yeah. And so to your point, concierge medicine, there's a, there's a space for it there, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's uh, it, it's it's really a, a good idea, and I wish that we could get the government to pass uh, a health care plan that would allow catastrophic coverage, and then you can go mm-hmm. see your doctor and pay out of pocket and or have a concierge relationship. We're getting close to the end of the show, Ken. Oh, my gosh. We covered a lot of turf, dude. We covered we did, a lot of turf. Did. Always, always wonderful to come on. This is this is wonderful. Provides so much incredible information to the listeners. I always love coming on. Well, I'm glad that you're here, and it was a pleasure to have you again. And I hope that your book does well. It's uh, Dr. Ken. Tell us again your website. Oh, so my website is drredcross.com. That's drredcross.com. I have another wellness site, which is Red Cross Wellness, and then I also am on Twitter, which is at Dr. Red Cross, and Facebook, Ken Red Cross MD.